How much do you have to hate somebody to be unwilling to share the truth with them, to share the good news of the gospel with them? That basically was the concluding question of the magician, the illusionist, and an avowed atheist, Penn Gillette, and an off-the-cuff video that he posted on social media a number of years ago, back in 2008. The night before he posted this video on social media, Penn had had an interaction with a fan, a Christian, who gave him a Bible. And this fan not only gave him a Bible, but wanted to share the gospel with him. And of course, Penn Jillette, he's a pretty vocal atheist and has talked about his atheism quite a bit in a, a number of different arenas. So this Christian had it on his heart to give Penn a Bible and to share the gospel with him. And what was really interesting about the video that Gillette posted was that he was clearly, and, and I would even say positively impacted by this interaction, this meeting with this fan. In fact, the exact words that Penn shared about this interaction are, I think, worth reading. I've got them right here. Penn Gillette, he said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it is not really worth telling them because this would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize, who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? And proselytize means preach the gospel to them. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Jesus taught in the gospel the second great commandment, which all of the law and the prophets hang upon. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in another place in the gospels, he was questioned by a devout expert in the Jewish law as to the exact meaning of that word neighbor. This religious lawyer wanted to kind of quibble over the nuance of the word neighbor. And Jesus gave one of the most famous stories as an illustrating answer to that question. A story commonly known to us as the Good Samaritan parable. In it, we find this from Jesus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 30. Now remember, this is in an answer to the question of this religious lawyer saying to Jesus, well, okay, I know I need to love my neighbor as myself, but who is my neighbor? He's wanting to try to justify himself and to justify not loving all people. So Jesus gives this answer to him. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest, a religious man came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But now a certain Samaritan and the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get along. They did not like each other. Jews hated Samaritans. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where this man was who had been taken by thieves and left for dead. And when he saw the man, he had compassion, mercy. And so he went and he bandaged up the man's wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set this man on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. 
And on the next day when he departed, he took out two days wages, two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of this man and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So now Jesus is questioned to the religious lawyer who's trying to justify himself, trying to find the nuance on the meaning word neighbor. He says, so which of these three individuals do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the religious lawyer justify, justifying himself said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Take careful note of the way that Jesus answered that self-justifying lawyer's question. According to Jesus, you determine who your neighbor is by how you treat that individual, him or her. Those whom you love and those who you show compassion and mercy to, those are the people who are your neighbors. According to Jesus, love shows mercy. Concentration camp survivor, Elie Wiesel, he rightly observed that the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. Apathetic indifference is the epitome of hate. The unwillingness to show mercy to an individual, to show compassion, that is hate. Now, why do I bring all of this up? Well, over the last few weeks, Pastor Jason, Pastor Mark, Pastor Garrett, they have been introducing you to the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. The prophet Jonah, as we've titled this series, was a reluctant prophet. But even in calling Jonah a reluctant prophet, we should recognize that Jonah wasn't exactly reluctant to prophesy. He, he seems to have had no problem declaring the word of God. He was just reluctant to prophesy to someone that he hated. And, and really, though it isn't indicated in the text of the book of Jonah, I think that Jonah probably had no problem prophesying to someone that he hated. The message that Jonah was given to share was a message that probably delighted the heart of Jonah. He was probably happy to share with the people of Nineveh, God's going to destroy you because he hated the people of Nineveh. He hated the Assyrians, Nineveh being their capital. Pastor Garrett last week talked about Jonah's short message. The, the message that he had for them is summed up in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Not very much to this message, very to the point and clear. Whereas my messages can go on for 45 minutes or more and have multiple points, Jonah's got one simple thing that he's declaring to the people of Assyria, to Nineveh. He says to them, Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, destroyed. Jonah's message for the Ninevites was a message that I think Jonah probably loved. He did not want these people to survive. He wanted them to be destroyed. So why the reluctance? Well, the text before us today, as we come to the last chapter, we're coming to Jonah chapter four, the text before us today answers the question, why was Jonah a reluctant prophet? Why did he not want to speak this message to the people? In the previous passage, chapter three, we have seen that Jonah's message of judgment was proclaimed. He went to where God called him to go and he shared the message that God had given him to share, even though he was reluctant, even though he was hesitant, even though in the beginning he tried to go the opposite direction, finally God gets him to the destination, to the people with the message. And Jonah's message of judgment is proclaimed. And as a result, 
the people of Nineveh, there is corporate repentance from the top all the way down, from the king down to even the animals are, you know, they put sackcloth and ashes on the animals, a sign of repentance during that time. And God's response to the repentance of the people of Nineveh is to relent from his judgment. We, we find this in verse 10 of chapter 3. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now look at this, chapter 4, verse 1. Why was Jonah reluctant? Why was he hesitant to do what God had told him to do? This guy who was a prophet of God, who probably had no problem speaking God's words before to his own people, and actually had no problem with the message that God had for the Ninevites. Why was he hesitant to bring it to them? Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Remember verse 10 of chapter 3. God relented from the disaster that he was going to bring upon the Ninevites. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He became angry. So, he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said? When I was in my country, therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I think this is one of the most staggering prophetic responses in all of Scripture. Read through the other prophetic books of the Bible. There are quite a few of them in the Old Testament, both major and minor prophets. This is one of the most staggering responses of one of those prophets, Obadiah, Micah, Habakkuk, all these different individuals. Jonah's response here is staggering. At the preaching of Jonah, the people of Nineveh responded with massive corporate repentance. Now think about that for a moment. If you've ever read through the Old Testament prophets, many of those guys never saw people heed their words. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, go down the list, they would prophesy and the people wouldn't listen to them. Sometimes they would be beaten, sometimes they would be mocked, sometimes they would be killed for their prophecies. Nobody would listen to them. Jonah, on the other hand, he preaches this very short message, probably the shortest message of any prophet of his time or any that would come after him. He speaks this very short message and all the people who heard it, they all corporately respond in repentance. And God responds in mercy to the people of Nineveh's repentance. And Jonah responds to God's show of mercy, not with joy over one sinner who repents, but Jonah responds to God's show of mercy with exceedingly great anger and displeasure. Again, I ask a question that I started with, how much do you have to hate somebody to respond in this manner? How much do you have to hate someone to wish for their destruction and their demise? What becomes clear as we look at this text, Jonah chapter 1, 2, 3, and now coming to chapter 4, is that Jonah's head was filled with God's word, while his heart was filled with hatred. Let me say that again. Jonah's head was filled with God's word, while his heart was filled with with hatred. Now, how do I know that Jonah's head was filled with God's word? Because we read in those verses that we just looked at, specifically in verse 2, he said, For I know that you, God, are gracious and merciful, a God slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. How did Jonah know this? 
he knew it because of one of my favorite passages in the Torah. The Torah is the law. It's the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. One of my favorite passages in the first five books of the Bible is found in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where God and Moses are having this conversation and God reveals his name and his character to Moses. Exodus 34, verse 6, we read these words, And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the children's children to the third and fourth generation, but notice there, keeping mercy for thousands, being gracious and merciful, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. Jonah knew those words. He knew God because he knew how God had revealed himself in the word. Like the other prophets that we will meet in the Old Testament, Jonah was an expert in the Torah. He was an expert in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and other passages as well in Israel's history. He was an expert in the law. And that's how he knew that God would judge the people of Nineveh for their wickedness. He knew that God's word says in the law that God will visit the iniquity of sinful people, their transgression, their iniquity with judgment. He knew that the Ninevites would be judged because God is just and God is holy and God is righteous. And he also knew that God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering or patient, and he is abundant in goodness and truth. And that's why Jonah did not want to go preach the message of judgment to the people of Nineveh because he was worried that the people of Nineveh might repent. I mean, it's a, it's a long shot. They're pretty wicked. If you go and study the history of the Ninevites and the people of Assyria, they were a pretty wicked people. They devised all kinds of horrible, wicked things, and they did a lot of terrible things to a lot of people. But Jonah was worried that maybe, just maybe, they might repent if I speak this word to them. And then if they repent, because he knew God's character, Exodus 34, verse 6, he knew that God was merciful and gracious and patient and abundant in goodness and truth. Jonah was worried that they might repent and God would relent from the harm that he proposed to do to them in judgment. And so what was Jonah's original plan? Because of their wickedness, God is going to destroy the people of Nineveh in 40 days. That's the message that God gave to Jonah that he's going to share with the people there. And so Jonah's original plan was, all right, fine, I'll just take a 40-day vacation. I'll just go in the exact opposite direction, then going to Nineveh, then going to Assyria. I'm going to go down to Joppa, the port city of Joppa. You can still go to the ruins of the city of Joppa there on the Mediterranean coast right just south a little bit from Tel Aviv in Israel, you can go to Joppa. That's where he went. He went to Joppa. He got on a boat and he tried to go the opposite direction of going to Assyria because he figured all I have to do is take a 40-day vacation. I'll just be on a boat for 40 days. And then Nineveh is no more. It'll be destroyed. So that's what Jonah set out to do. And now God has said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you go and go speak to these people. I'm going to give them one more chance is what God basically said. And now God spares them. God relents from the judgment that he was going to pour out upon the people of Nineveh. And, and Jonah is seething with anger. God, this is exactly what I told you at the very beginning. This is what I knew that you would do. I did not want to come here because I knew that you would be merciful and gracious to them if they repented. And he wanted them damned. 
So literally, he's saying, damn it. They repented. I want you to condemn them. I want you to damn them. I don't want you to forgive them. I want you to destroy them. They deserve your wrath, which is probably true. They deserve your judgment, he says. Jonah had knowledge of the scriptures and even a genuine knowledge about the true nature of God. But he missed God's true heart and he missed God's true will. And Jonah himself had a wrong heart and a wrong will for himself, a wrong plan for himself. So now notice Jonah's concluding prayer. As God relents from his judgment, look at how Jonah prays in verse 3. Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. It is better for me to die than to live. If you would rather die than see others live, then you do not have the heart of Christ. You've lost the plot, as they say, if you'd rather that people die than live. You may know God, and you might even really know his word. Jonah knew God and his word. It might be in your head, but you've got hatred in your heart. Just before the second great commandment, Remember, Jesus in the Gospels said the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. That with the first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all of the law and the prophets. Those words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They come from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. But in the verse that comes right before, verse 18, verse 17, we read these words. Judges, or Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 17, we read this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor, he's done something wrong, and not bear sin because of him. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. And yet Jonah, the man of God, the prophet of God, the guy who knew those words from Leviticus chapter 19 or knew Exodus chapter 34, he says, I would rather die than see the people of Nineveh live. It's, it's actually pretty hard to imagine that statement. But here it is, as clear as day. Jonah now says, I want to die because God's grace and mercy have given the people of Nineveh new life. Now, in contrast, Jesus came and he died to bring us God's grace and mercy, leading us to eternal life. So this guy, Jonah says, I'd rather die than these people have new life. Jesus the greater than Jonah. He came and he died to bring us God's grace and mercy, leading unto eternal life. And one of Jesus' followers, John the Apostle, he writes this in his first letter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then one chapter later in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, John says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now you may console yourself, comfort yourself today, in that you have never acted like Jonah the prophet, as we see him here in this story. You've never acted with this kind of overt anger and hatred toward another person like the prophet did. 
But before we comfort ourselves with that notion, I've never been like this, we, we should prayerfully remember and consider the words of that atheist magician, Pendulat, that I read earlier on at the beginning of this message. How much do you have to hate somebody to not share the gospel, proselytize them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and then to not tell them that? That's not a question that I'm seeking to kind of beat you over the head with. It is a question that I've had to wrestle with myself. Now, be that as it may, Jonah was enraged by God's mercy, so much so that he says to God in prayer, I would rather die than see the people of Nineveh live. God, just kill me. Kill me like I wish that you would have killed them. In fact, it's almost as if he says, it would have been better if I had died in the belly of the great fish. And then God responds to Jonah with this sobering question. Look at Jonah chapter four, verse four. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? There's a psychologist on TV. I'm sure you've probably seen him here or there on his show or on other people's shows, Dr. Phil. And sometimes he asks the people that are on his show, how's that working out for you when they're going through whatever sort of thing that they're going through? That's exactly what God is saying to Jonah here right now. This is kind of like a divine gut check, a God gut check to him. Is it really right for you to be so angry in this way? Do you have a good reason for your exceedingly great displeasure and anger? This isn't just as if Jonah is upset. He is more than just a little upset. He is literally seething with indignation, wrath, and anger. He wants these people completely destroyed. And he may have had good reason. I mean, you could stack up all the reasons why the people from Israel, like Jonah, had all kinds of reasons to hate the people of Assyria. And you can be sure that all the people that lived in the nations round about Israel during this time, they were not all that happy with Assyria and the capital Nineveh. So, we could give him all kinds of excuses for you're right. You're, you're righteous and justified to be angry and to be upset in this situation. But God simply asks him the question, is this the right response? And I love the way that Jonah responds to God's responsive question. It's the no response response. Look at Jonah chapter four, verse five. So Jonah went out of the city. He does not answer. God says, is it right for you to be angry? In verse four, Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there he made himself a shelter. He built camp and he sat under his shelter in the shade that he might see what would become of the city. The 40 days is approaching. The timetable, it's clicking by. You know, it's five minutes to midnight, if you will. And the judgment day is coming. Apocalypse for Nineveh. And Jonah says, I've got front row seats. I am ready to watch God obliterate and destroy. And in his mind, he's probably hoping, hopefully there's a whole bunch of people that did not repent and God's going to destroy this place. He prepares himself a camp outside the city to wait and to see what would happen. And he wants to see Nineveh burn. Now, I want to give Jonah at least a small amount of credit, when he burned exceedingly with great displeasure and anger, he did in part do the right thing with his anger. He brought it to God in prayer. And Jonah's prayer was actually good in that it was, it was pitifully honest. It's better than putting on an air of superficial spirituality like a lot of us do sometimes when we pray. We kind of pre pretend to be more spiritual than we are. He didn't do that. He's completely honest in his prayer. 
He was angry. He was displeased. He's not happy with what God is going to do. And he expresses his emotions honestly. But it is super important to recognize that, and write this down. Take notes on this one. This is key. God's aim in prayer is to change us. His ultimate end in prayer is not that we would influence him, but that he would change and transform us. That's what God wants to do through our prayers so many times. But, but still, that being the case, Jonah, as we go through this text, he's largely unchanged. He did the right thing with his anger. He brought it to God. He expresses his frustration honestly. His prayer is honest. But when the word of the Lord first came to Jonah in chapter 1, and he ran from God's presence because he didn't want God to be merciful to the Ninevites. He wanted the people of Nineveh to be destroyed. And then when God intervened and essentially forced Jonah to obey with the, the big fish, it swallowed him up and moves him where God wanted him to go, Jonah reluctantly spoke God's message of judgment. And in his heart, all he wanted was for the people, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, to be bullheaded and hard-hearted. That's what he was hopeful for, that they won't repent. They'll be stiff-necked, bullheaded, hard-hearted, so that God would destroy them. But that didn't happen. And when they repented, Jonah is now seething with anger because he knew that their repentance would invite God's grace and his mercy because he knew who God was based upon the scriptures, Exodus chapter 34. God is merciful and gracious He's compassionate, slow to anger. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And not only does he forgive the iniquity, transgression, and sin of his own people, the children of Israel, but also any people who turn to him in repentance and trust in him. So Jonah is furious with God's forgiveness. And when God interrogates Jonah, when he questions him on this about his unrighteous heart, Jonah can't even cannot even respond. He's, he's speechless. And so he just turns and he walks away. And it's kind of interesting because once, once again, Jonah is walking away from God. It's not the best plan, Jonah. We've already seen what happens in that situation when he tries to flee from God's presence. But it's important to recognize that a hard heart always causes us to distance ourselves from God. Sin separates. And even when he is trying to distance himself from God, God is still gracious. And just as the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah at the end of chapter 1, now he prepares something else for him here in Jonah chapter 4. Look at verse 6. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, the reluctant, angry, seething with anger prophet, that this plant might shade his head to deliver him from his misery, because he's miserable and angry and he's in the heat there, and what we know of today is modern-day Iraq, outside of Mosul, Iraq. There he sits on the east side of the city, and he's seething with anger, and God prepares a plant to give him shade. And so Jonah was grateful for the plant. Now, at this point, with the repentance of the Ninevites effectively secured, God is seeking the repentance of the reluctant prophet, the angry prophet. And this is an amazing turn of events. The wicked pagans of Nineveh, these people who did horrendous things, they are at this moment in the story in a better place 
with God than the prophet who proclaimed to them the message of impending disaster. The heart of Jonah is further from God than the hearts of the people of Nineveh. And God continues to be kind and he continues to be merciful to the hard-hearted prophet. The prophet who is wishing damnation and judgment upon the Ninevites. And in thinking about this, I can't help but think of the Apostle Paul in his New Testament letter to the church at Rome. He writes this in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judges. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? God's goodness is forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Notice here in Romans chapter 2 that God's judgment is according to truth against those who practice lawlessness and sin. That means that God is upright when it says it's according to truth. God is upright in his judgment of sin. He is not capricious. He shows no partiality. He judges iniquity, transgression, and sin, and he does so uprightly, and he does so righteously. Notice also that God's judgment is inescapable, but also he is good, and he is patient, and he is relenting. He's not relentless. He is relenting in his judgment. His goodness, as he is good here to Jonah, is for the purpose of leading us to repentance. It is not as if God holds a piano over your head and he's got like the scissors in his hand, ready to drop it upon you, seeking to coax you or manipulate you into repentance by fear. Instead, it is that God is good and he is kind and he is merciful and he is gracious and patient so that the sinner will turn to him because he is a good. Again, this is worth emphasizing. We do not turn from our sin out of fear of God. We turn to God rejoicing in his goodness. His kindness leads us to repentance. And here, God's goodness, his merciful kindness is in full display. The Lord prepared a plant and he made it to come over Jonah. God's goodness to this anger, angry prophet who'd been disobedient. He makes a plant to cover Jonah that it might be shade for his head and to deliver him from his misery. What we see here in this text is that God pursues the hard-hearted, seeking mercifully to restore. His desire is to restore this prophet and to bring him to repentance. Again, think about it. The Ninevites, those wicked people in Nineveh, they have repented and turned to God. And now God is pursuing the hard-hearted prophet, seeking to mercifully restore him as well. And that really, when you boil it down, that's the whole story of the gospel right there. That, that is the major focal point of the grand story of the whole of the Bible, what is sometimes referred to as the meta-narrative of Scripture, which has four major movements, creation and fall, redemption and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's the meta-narrative of the Bible. And at this point, I can't miss the opportunity to speak 
to you, right, at this moment, wherever you are, whether you're watching this on the day that it drops online or you're watching this six months or six years from now, I don't know where this message will go, but I wanna to speak to you at this very moment. If you happen to find yourself in, say, a place like Nineveh before Jonah prophesied to them, or you find yourself like the prophet Jonah, who at this point is seething in anger and in a in a bad place before God in his heart. If you are far from God because sin has separated you from him like the Ninevites, or you have distanced yourself from God like Jonah here because of your anger and your hard-heartedness, what this teaches us is that God is pursuing you. And he is pursuing you not with his finger on the trigger or like on the smite button to destroy you. He is pursuing you with his grace he is pursuing you with his goodness. He desires that you would turn to him in repentance and faith. And what you will find if you turn to him in repentance and faith is that he stands there with open arms. Like when the story in Jesus's parables of the prodigal son who came to his senses after he left the father and now he returns. And what does he find? The father is there waiting with open arms. That's what you will find if you turn to God. He is pursuing you with his mercy and his grace. Just like he pursued the Ninevites, just like he raised up a prophet and sent them to these horrible, wicked, wretched people before he destroyed them with judgment, he says, I'm going to give them one last chance to repent. And they repent. They turn to him. And now he's pursuing the prophet who gave that message, who's angry and bitter and upset and just wants them dead. He's open arms waiting for you to come. Now, you've got to be wondering, how does this all shake out with jaded Jonah? The Lord prepared a plant, made it to come and cover over Jonah that it might be a shade on his head to deliver him from his misery. And so Jonah was grateful for the plant. He's He's happy. He's kind of up and down here. He's a little bit bipolar, really, really angry. And then, yeah, okay, now I'm kind of happy. I got my perch here on the east and watching Nineveh and waiting for it to be destroyed. Then verse seven, Jonah chapter four. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. So God prepared a great fish and then he prepared a plant and now he prepares a worm. And so it damaged the plant that it withered and it happened when the sun arose that God prepared another thing. He prepared a vehement east wind, a hot, strong wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then once again, he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now, I think it's entirely understandable at this point. If you are reading this story and looking at what's happening here and you start thinking, why is God messing with Jonah? It seems as if God is just like poking and tormenting Jonah with all these things that he prepares for him. And in reality, what I think is happening and what will become more clear in a moment as we continue through the text is that God is seeking to speak an important truth to Jonah and to us from this story from thousands of years ago. Each of the things that God prepares for Jonah is for a purpose. He prepared a big fish. He prepared the shade plant. He prepared the worm. He prepared a strong, hot east wind. God is preparing to teach the prophet an important truth. And it's got to be asked, what has God been preparing in your life to try to get you to return to him? What has he been preparing to get through your thick head and through your hard heart? 
what big fish, what weed, what worm, what east wind have been in your life lately? And, and are you listening? God is trying to speak something to you. The shade plant that made Jonah grateful for just a moment is now damaged and withered by the worm. And this hot wind blew and beat on Jonah's head so that he became faint and tired. And once again, his pitiful wish just comes forth from him. He wished death for himself and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And God asks Jonah again, Jonah chapter four, beginning of verse nine. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Another divine gut check. God gives him a little check here to see, is it right for you to be angry like this? On the first one, Jonah angrily gave God the silent treatment and just walks away. But now, the end of verse 9, he said, Jonah responds to God, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. I am angry, he says, and I have the right to be mad. I didn't want to go to Nineveh from the very beginning. I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I, I wanted nothing to do with this. I did what you told me to do. I didn't want to, but I did what you told me to do. I did it. And they deserve to die. They do not deserve your goodness. They do not deserve your deliverance. They do not in any way deserve your mercy. And if they are not going to get what they do deserve, then I just want to die. I, I don't want to live to see what's going to happen with these people any longer. Is that not basically what Jonah is saying here in this passage? But the Lord responds, look at verse 10. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons, note this, this is important, who cannot discern between their right hand or their left and much livestock are in the city as well. God says, Jonah, you have had compassion and pity on this goofy plant. And yet you've had no compassion or pity upon the people of Nineveh, where in that city there are 120,000 in Nineveh who cannot discern between their right hand or their left. What he is basically saying there is there are more than 120,000 children in Nineveh. That's what most commentators agree upon, what it means, 120 that do not know their right hand from their left. He's talking about the innocence of the people in the city. Those who are, if you will, have not reached an age of accountability where they really know what is right or wrong. God says, there's more than 120,000 of those in that city, not including all the animals that are, you know, if you got pity, if you don't have any pity for the people, maybe you have pity for all the animals that are in there. And Jonah considered the people of Nineveh to be too wicked to receive or to deserve God's mercy. He wanted justice. He was a divine justice warrior. And in Jonah's mind, justice would be best served by Nineveh's destruction, even if that meant the destruction of the righteous with the wicked. Now, there was a lot of wicked cities in ancient times, just as there are a lot of wicked cities today. When I say there are a lot of wicked cities today, I'm sure there are some cities that pop into your mind, some wicked places. There were many wicked cities in ancient times before Jonah and after Jonah that deserved God's justice and wrath and judgment. Now, some of them we are told in the scriptures were like completely consumed by his wrath. And among them 
are two notable cities. Maybe you've heard of them before, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there were other cities around them that also got destroyed that were in close proximity to Sodom and Gomorrah. But the two noteworthy ones are Sodom and Gomorrah. But when God's judgment came to the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the story is found in the Old Testament book of Genesis chapter 18. You can read it later. I don't have time to go into all of it this morning because I am running low on time. But when God's judgment came to the gates of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, there was one who interceded on behalf of the innocents, the people that were innocent or righteous in those wicked cities. That one man was a man named Abraham. God reveals to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 that he's going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to see what's going on there. And Abraham perceives and understands what that means. God is going to judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities around them. And so we find this in Genesis chapter 18, beginning at verse 23. And Abraham came near to God and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place? and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you, Abraham says to God, that you should do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare the place for the sakes of the 50. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there are five less than 50. Suppose there's not 50, but 45 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five or 45? And so he said, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. If you go back and read the remainder of Genesis chapter 18, you're going to see this back and forth between God and Abraham. As Abraham intercedes to God on behalf of the wicked people of Sodom, he says, okay, there's probably not 45. What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And God says, if there are 10 righteous people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, I will spare all of the cities for 10 righteous because God is righteous. He is upright when he judges. Now, ultimately, there were not 10 righteous people found in Sodom and Gomorrah. God removed the four righteous people that were there and got them out before judgment was poured out. But when God prepares to pour out judgment, just as he prepared to do in Nineveh, he seeks for one who might stand in the gap to intercede on behalf of the fallen sinful people so that he might not destroy by judgment. That is God's heart. That's why he called Jonah. Back in Genesis chapter 18, it was Abraham who interceded and stood in the gap. God's heart is, or I should say, he always begins with patient, compassion, and gracious mercy. God speaking through or to the prophet Ezekiel, a couple hundred years after the time of Jonah says this, in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, so I, God is speaking, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of this land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with a fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. God seeks to be merciful. He will by no means overlook guilt. He will not, by no means overlook sin. He will judge that, but he is always looking for mercy. That is his nature. God's default is mercy, intending by his mercy to rescue sinners and then to turn and make them merciful. He wants to transform us to become merciful like him. Now, in truth, and I'm 
totally run out of time here. In truth, the book of Jonah doesn't really give us what we want. We, we want a positive resolution to all of this whole crazy story. But Jonah doesn't give us that. Jonah chapter four definitely doesn't give us that. The bad guys repent and the one that was supposed to be the good guy, Jonah, in the story, well, just leaves us wondering what whatever happened to Jonah. And we are not given any information. The, the story just ends right where we just left it off there. It's a strange story, an interesting story, a story that has caused problems for a lot of people because they go, did, did a fish really swallow this guy and spit him up? Is this really true? Um, lots of discussions around that. At the very least, Jesus, if we believe him to be authoritative, he speaks about Jonah as if Jonah was a historical figure. And so I have to assume that this is exactly as it happened. But in thinking about Jesus talking about Jonah, we need to be reminded as we wrap up this study in the book of Jonah of the one who is greater than Jonah, the one who Jonah pictures or points to or looks to, the one whom, like Jonah, in the great fish spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus. Jonah, as I said previously, he wanted to die because God's grace and mercy were given to the people of Nineveh and gave them new life. But Jesus, the one greater than Jonah, he came and he died to bring God's grace and mercy to us, leading to eternal life. So many things to talk about in this book, but I want to wrap it up like this. Why, why are we in the book of Jonah at the start of 2023 coming into a new year? I think that there's an important message here in this book for us. I think as I look around our culture and around the world today, I think that there is very possibly coming a time, maybe in the not too distant future, where the antagonism of those who hate God and hate his word is going to increase, it's gonna grow. And that hatred and that antagonism is going to be directed at us, his people, his church. And the temptation for us is going to be to hate those who hate God. When in reality, God is going to call us, the church, to be gracious and compassionate, merciful, loving, and slow to anger, just like him. He's going to want me, he's going to want you, if you're a Christian, to be all that he is to those who hate him. And he's going to call you to share a message of grace to those who might hopefully turn to him in repentance. So what are you going to do? If the people who are outside the church become more hateful and antagonistic towards the church, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond to their hate with more hate? Or are we going to seek to be compassionate and loving and gracious and share the good news of the gospel? Not overlooking the truth of the gospel, calling people to repent and making very clear what is right and what is wrong before a holy God, but still acting with compassion. What are we going to do? And maybe you find yourself even thinking about that in the belly of a big fish. Not really wanting to be gracious to those who are outside. Or maybe you find yourself seething with angry bitterness. Listen, don't fall into the snare of Jonah, whose head was filled with God's word, but his heart was filled with hatred, who would rather die than see other people live, who did not have the heart of Christ. And because of his hard heart, he distanced himself from God, but rejoice in the Lord who continued to reach out to Jonah to try and res rescue him with his mercy.
If you have tasted of the grace and the mercy of God, then it is our commission and call from God to share that grace and mercy with others. Do not be like Jonah, the reluctant prophet, and fall into the trap that he fell into. Father God, I pray as we come into 2023, and it is highly likely that each person that watches this, there's, there's a Ninevite in their life, someone that they count as their enemy, someone that they don't like. And yet you've not only called us to love our neighbors, but you have commanded that we love our enemies. And you have said, by this shall people know that we are your followers, that we have love for one another. And so God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with your love, which is the evidence that your Holy Spirit is in us. It is the fruit of the Spirit is love. So God, fill our lives with your love, cause it to overflow to our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, those people that we interact with, those who we count as friends, but also those that we count as Ninevites. And Lord, help us to share the good news of your grace with them. You've been so merciful and gracious with us. Help us to share that same mercy and grace with others. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.